We started last week a series where we're looking at God's design for worship and why we do what we do in worship. We looked last week at a call to worship at the very beginning of the service where having come in and been welcome and settling in, God calls our hearts to worship. And we rehearse the gospel to one another when we come together as a body, as a family, as sons and daughters to meet with the living God in worship. We rehearse the gospel not only to ourselves but to one another. And this morning we're going to look at songs, the power of songs. God's design for our worship includes the music, the instruments, and the singing of songs. And in those singing of songs, we rehearse the gospel. We sing the gospel to one another. We hear the good news again through the very lyrics and the words of the song. Music has that power, that ability, even if strangely so, to reach our heart, our emotions. And as our heart is reached by the gospel, we respond. And our response is more worship, more praise. Um, music is powerful. And I've got a, just a few quick things, uh, quotes. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen, Where words fail, music speaks. Uh, Cahill Gabron, music is the language of the Spirit. It opens the secret of life, bringing peace, abolishing strife. Martin Luther, my heart, which is so full to overflowing, has often been solaced and refreshed by music when it's sick and weary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, music will help dissolve your perplexities and purify your character and sensibilities and in time of care and sorrow will keep a fountain of joy alive in you. That great theologian Dumbledore said, Ah, music, he said, wiping his eyes, a magic beyond all that we do here. And then finally, there's Bono. Music can change the world because it can change people. And Bono is very interesting to me. Uh, just the course of this summer, it was released in August. He is in a video documentary with Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message on the Psalms. And he talks there about the power that music had upon him. Quote, words and music did for me what solid, even rigorous religious argument could never do. They introduced me to God, not belief in God, more an experiential sense of God. Over art, literature, girls, my mates, the way into my spirit was a combination of words and music. As a result, the book of Psalms always felt open to me and led me to the poetry of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and the book of John. 
If you look at your outline, I just want to hit uh, many of these highlights this morning. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was a reformer. There were three primary reformers during the 16th century of the Reformation. There was Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Ulrich Zwingli. Martin Luther, as a Catholic monk, who then became a Lutheran as he had disciples follow him after the Reformation, reintroduced music to the masses in worship. Before that, they had become very specialized with choirs and some instrumentation, but the people didn't sing in worship. Martin Luther was not only a theologian, but he was also a hymn writer. A mighty fortress is our God is but one example of the top ten classic hymns. But Martin Luther, he said the way to impress the mind is with music and song. If you look at our text this morning, the Apostle Paul says in verse 12 that we're to put on these attributes and look like God's people by wearing this wardrobe of being holy, being beloved, being compassionate, being kind, being humble, being meek, being patient, bear with one another, be, bear no complaint against each other, be quick to forgive, even as Christ is quick to forgive. All these are like garments. Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 tells us that you now have been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by the work and the life of Jesus Christ. And in this new kingdom, in chapter 2, he says, you now are alive in Christ. You you have a life. You're not just a, a drone or a clone. You have a life. You are quickened for life. And you are being transformed to live and to model a son and a daughter in this new kingdom. And then in chapter 3, he gets very specific. And he tells us what this life in worship looks like. And then he tells us in verse 14 that above all these things that we tie the wardrobe together with this belt, we hold all these things together, always motivated by love. A love for God and a love for one another. And that will create harmony and unity in our midst. When you communicate God's love to me, and when I'm able to remind or rehearse the gospel to you and recite the gospel again to you, then that unites you to God, but it is also putting us on a a level playing field. It puts us in the same family, sinners, forgiven by Christ, in a new kingdom, alive and growing, constantly being transformed, and wearing all these articles of the garment, fueled and motivated by love. But how do we keep it going? I don't always feel loved. I don't always feel loving. I don't always feel united with you, nor you with me or the the body. These pieces of garment, some of them are missing. Some of them are very, very worn. Some of them need to be put on. It's verse 15. 
or excuse me, it's verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, it's the word of Christ in you. Not simply knowing the word of Christ knowledge-wise, head-wise, thought-wise, but having it there, not just a knowledge about it, but it dwells there much like a resident in a home. It dwells there. So how can, how can Christ and His Word take up residence in my mind richly? How can I have Him in abundance? Well, the, Paul tell, the Apostle Paul tells us here, it's in worship with music and songs. Martin Luther said, this is the key to getting and impressing the gospel upon our mind. Now, this is a bit of a lengthy quote. I've got a number of quotes this morning, and I humbly apologize or beg your indulgence for that. I, Dr. Martin Luther, wish all lovers of the unshackled art of music grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're music lovers, if you're a music lover, greeting, greeting with Jesus Christ. I truly desire that all Christians would love and regard as worthy the lovely gift of music, which is precious, worthy, and costly treasure given to mankind by God. The riches of music are so excellent and so precious that words fail me whenever I attempt to discuss and describe them. In summation, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts and our minds. Our dear fathers and prophets did not desire without reason that music be always used only in the churches. Hence, we have so many songs and psalms. This precious gift has been given to man alone. The animals don't sing. It has been given to man alone that he might thereby remind himself that God has created man for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. I'm going to go down. A person who gives this some thought and yet does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. Wow, I think he has an opinion on it. Music is God's greatest gift. It's often so stimulated me and stirred me that I felt the desire to preach. Martin Luther indeed says that if you want to impress God and knowledge of God upon the mind, then we need the medium of music. We need the medium of songs. 
And I want you to think about what he said where he equated that music and songs and psalms, Scripture put to song, is as great as the Word of God. If you would believe that, what difference would it make? He believes that because they're not pitted one against another. I'm a worship leader too. I'm leading in worship right now by preaching and teaching. Justin and the worship team are leading in song. Many times, Justin and I will fight in the course of the week about how much time each one's going to get. Each one thinking that, well, the preaching is more important than the singing. Oh, I dare say not. Next to God's people praying, you are commanded to praise and to sing and give glory to God with your voices more than any other command. Which is it? It's both. God will use the songs to impact and impress the gospel upon our mind. That's why we encourage you to, we don't want to chide you, and we're not trying to to rebuke anybody that finds themselves delayed on Sunday morning. But from the very start with singing of the worship service, we have begun to worship. It's all a complete whole, not just the preaching or not just the prayers. The singing is a part of our worship of God, and we're rehearsing the gospel to one another. And in the process, we're growing more and more intimate with God, our mind is becoming more and more full with Christ dwelling there, and then the gospel is impressed upon our heart. If you, uh, the gospel in Ephesians, I don't think we have, do we have slides this morning? Yeah, Ephesians 5. Okay. Ephesians 5 shows us how our heart is impacted by the gospel. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's putting wine on one table and the Spirit being filled with the Spirit on the other table. And he's saying you've got a choice. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The fruit of being filled with the Spirit rather than being filled with wine is that we begin to submit to one another. That idea that Paul, we saw in Galatians, uh, Colossians where he says that we bear patiently with one another. We're quick to forgive with one another. We're humble with one another. We're compassionate with one another. All that wardrobe that we're, we're wearing creates this mutual submission. This, you go first, I'll be second idea. Well, how do we get filled with this Spirit? This is the heart work. Just like Christ dwelling richly in my mind, music also, the medium of songs, impacts and reaches my heart. Here's how you get drunk if you never have. Now, I know that most people at Two Rivers have never gotten drunk. Drink a lot of wine. Not a little bit of wine. Drink a lot of wine. 
Now, according to your constitution or your history, it may take more for some than others. Um, whenever someone helps tidy up the communion table uh, and has not done it before, they very graciously asked me, they said, well, we've got quite a bit of wine left over and we use port wine for the table. Uh, what do we do with it? And I said, well, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to drink it. But after trying four glasses of wine on, port wine, uh, we don't think that it's wise to drive home. So we just pour it out on the grass, find a place outdoors. We don't pour it down a toilet, but we pour it outside on the grass. The way that you get filled with the Spirit is you drink a lot of Spirit in. And one of the best ways to drink the Spirit, yes, reading our Bibles in everyday worship, um, praying, all the means of grace, those channels by which God will show grace to us as sons and daughters. But the best medium, the best medium to experience the Spirit, to fill the Spirit, is the singing of songs. So says Paul again. He says, be drunk in this. Sing to the point of, if people were to look at you, they would think, wow, they are so silly or so emotional it's as if they're drunk churches they're two curbs neither one that we want to go off the road and over the curb but many churches will commit one they'll they'll just ride the car as if one tire off the curb one side or the other the first is they will exploit the heart because they know the power of songs to move you, they will exploit your emotions. So that the worship service, and I'm not, at this point, I'm not trying to be critical, uh, particularly of any Christ-honoring congregation, but you can exploit the emotions such that the, the worship from the very start, you know, it, it feels like a rock concert. Now again, I'm not trying to speak critical of anybody's worship style. But if the idea is, if that worship team in the course of the week prays and designs a worship service saying, okay, what can we do to just, I mean, just, woo, man, just get them right when they come in, just be rocking, you know, just, just, they're exploiting your emotions. But guess what? Presbyterians tend to have the other curb on the side of the road that we go off the curb on, and that is because we know of the power of music and singing on the emotions and the heart it's more like elevator music. It's just, we do it kind of out of tradition, and we do it, and let's, let's just sing the classic hymns with very little instrumentation. Let's be very careful. Let's subdue the emotions. I mean, we don't want to, to go too far. Now, John Calvin, the other reformer, believed in only the singing of psalms with very little instrumentation. He was somewhat wary, though he did never criticize Martin Luther, who said, put all of Scripture to song. That's permitted. But John Calvin said, let's just sing Scripture and only Scripture, and let's just sing the psalms and only the psalms, because we don't want to get too far away into the heart and emotions. Now again, 
that's not um, that's not to be critical of that style as well. But I want you to understand that to reach the heart, God through the power of the Holy Spirit will use music, hymns, spiritual songs. There are times. Let me uh, let me try to give you a, a an illustration. Uh, Frederick Douglass said this. Frederick Douglass, uh, African American uh, uh, politician, uh, liberator. He was a former slave, then he was granted his freedom, and then spent the rest of his life in uh, politics, fighting for the rights and freedoms of his people. He was also a preacher. I have often been utterly astonished since I came to the North to find persons who could speak of singing among slaves as evidence of their contentment and happiness. Slaves sing most when they are most unhappy. The songs of the slave represent the sorrows of his heart, and he is relieved by them, and only as an aching heart is relieved by its tears. I have often sung to drown my sorrow, but seldom to express my happiness. In 1871, Horatio Spatford and his family experienced a loss, a huge financial loss, because of the fire of Chicago. Horatio Spatford was a Christian. He was a great supporter of Moody Sankey revivals. He was also a hymn writer, a prominent lawyer, and a real estate developer. And he lost a great deal in the 1871 Chicago fire. He began to immediately work over the next two years to help with the rebuilding of housing for those that were displaced by the Chicago fire. He was exhausted in 1873 and wanted to go on vacation in England with his family. But because at the last minute there was a particular business situation to arise, he put his wife and and their four daughters onto the Villa Harve steamship going toward England. Just prior to arriving in England, the ship in a fog was struck and sank within 20 minutes. His wife, along with only 40 other survivors, were picked up, taken to shore in Wales, where she phoned Horatio, and she said, saved alone. I am only the one saved. I'm saved alone. Heartbroken, he took the next ship, on his way to be with his grieving wife. When they came over the spot that the captain of the ship suspected that the Villa de Havre on that fateful day or night had been struck, he said to Horatio, right out there on those waves, those sea billows rolling, that's where we believe. They were lost. Horatio Spatford went 
down below deck. And he wrote, It is well with my soul. 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 He wrote the refrain for it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way and sorrows like sea billows roll. He wrote the words there in that hymn to describe that when like sea waves just crashing upon him with heartache and tears that he still can say and sing it is well yet with my soul. The third and fourth stanza don't talk about sorrow and trials. It talks about his precious salvation and redemption by Jesus Christ and the promise one day of either Christ's return or going to be with him in heaven where every tear will be wiped away. He didn't write, in other words, a hymn that John Piper has come to say about Bethlehem Baptist Church. He said, that's our hymn. It is well with my soul. And we don't sing it because we're happy, but we sing it because our hearts are breaking. We sing it because our hearts are crying and weeping. But as we sing, I am yours and it is well with my soul. And all that I have is yours and it is well with my soul. That our hearts, even in its tears, are comforted and strengthened and impressed by that good news by the singing of the hymn to one another. So in other words, there are going to be plenty of Sundays that you don't feel like singing. I don't feel like singing. But as I sing, my heart begins, and its heaviness and sorrow begins to experience a lift as the grace and the good news of God and Savior and the working of the Holy Spirit to transform us all is delivered fresh and hot and experientially to my heart. Lastly, songs and music are not only used to impress our mind and impress our heart, but they're also used to impress our life. Now, I've got, uh, I've got, I need to end with this. All of these are independent and could have their own um, sermon. But I want you to think, that God is no, I want you to learn that God is no stranger to songs, particularly as we've read in Colossians and we've read in um, Ephesians. He wants the purpose and the goal is not only to unite us with Him by bringing glory to Him in response to the gospel, but it's to unite us in relationships of intimacy, those of us that the gospel has reached. Songs unite us. The um, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and these are just a, a couple of excerpts. Deuteronomy chapter 32, Assemble to me, this is God speaking to Moses, all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears. Then Moses spoke the words of this song. What has happened? God must have sang those words to Moses until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. 
take to heart all the words, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Now, if you're looking up Deuteronomy 32, these are select verses. And what you're going to see in Deuteronomy 32 is God saying, listen, as you're in this land as a new family, my family, a unique, holy, chosen, loved people that I paid the price of the firstborn of the Passover to get you out of slavery in Egypt, as I paid a bloody price for you to be my beloved and special people, I want you to remember to follow me and not idols, to love me and not a false god, and to love one another. And how does he impress this upon their minds and their heart for the purpose of transform lives? God delivers it in a song. The words of his mouth come to Moses as the words of a song. This morning, as, um, as I drive over, with uh, we've got something of a tradition or rhythm in our family that uh, usually Emerson spends Saturday night over with us, my uh, six-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. And so she wants to ride with me into church to come early and to be here as early as she can for Sunday school. And as soon as we get in the vehicle, she wants church songs. Pandora has Jesus loves the little children uh, genre, and so I cue that up, and she'll say, no, our, our church doesn't sing that song, so skip that one. And this morning, I was trying to, and I was like, honey, I can't skip any more songs. Just These are church songs. It's just that our church just doesn't sing a lot of these songs. And so she says, okay, and so she's so I'm listening, and we're waiting for the next one to, to come up, and she starts singing the doxology. That's her church's song. She starts singing the doxology. This morning when we were singing, some of these songs are relatively new to her, but not holy, holy, holy. And so remember, Emerson, six and a half, her reading is still very elementary, <laughs> but she knows the words. And she now is beginning to connect the dots to say it's in my head and it's in my heart because I want to sing. I, I want to sing this. I like the feeling of singing this. And she loves it when I sing with her, which is, is awful. But then she's starting to connect the dots to say, wow, if Jesus loves the little children, does Jesus love me? I'm a little children. Yes, Emerson, Jesus loves you as a little children. It begins, God transforms our life, certainly, when our mind is full of truth. And we can get that through personal Bible study, our personal devotions and everyday worship, through the preaching, through Sunday school, through Bible, through large group meetings of RUF. We can, we can get the Bible. But equally important, is the gospel through song. I want to leave you with three considerations to unpack. Take one, at least one of these personally. Number one, every voice matters. Your voice matters. 
we miss you when you're not here. And you may say, I'm not really musically inclined. I, in fact, I don't really like to sing that much. We need your voice. And yes, time doesn't permit me, but I can take and show you numerous songs in Revelation that we're going to be singing in heaven. Justin made mention this week that I probably won't have a job as a preacher in heaven, but he will still have a job as a worship leader in song. And something, remember, we need your voice. Your voice matters because you're a member of a singing people, not just a singing church. And I would that we become a more and more a singing church, but you're a group of a singing people. God's people have something to sing about. So let's get with it. Your voice matters, and it matters to you. Secondly, faith comes first and the feelings will follow. You may say, I don't feel like singing. In fact, I don't like, I don't like that type, I don't like that genre of song, or I don't like that instrumentation, I don't like the way that we sing it, or I just don't feel like it. John Piper again says that music, singing, particularly when we sing together, is an igniter that the Holy Spirit will use to inflame our faith. Maybe we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to ignite the tender of my heart. Bring your sorrows. Bring your trials. Bring even your doubt and your fears and ask God to give you a song and to meet you in a song. That you might sing, it is well with my soul. Even though everything around me is falling apart, it is well in my soul. He'll minister to you that way. And then the third thing is, the songs unite us with one another. C.S. Lewis talks about how he, when he first started going to church as a new convert, that he didn't like the lyrics of the song. That it was six-rate poetry put to fifth-rate music. Until one day in a worship service, he saw a farmer in what he described as elastic-sided boots, dirty and worn, singing with all of his heart. And he said, I realized at that moment how arrogant I had become, how disunited I had become from that fellowship and I wasn't even worthy to wipe that man's boots. And he said, after that, I learned to sing. I learned to be united with that fellowship, that motley crew, because I was motley myself. It unites us with one another. And beloved, songs unite us with Jesus. We're told that on the night that Jesus Christ led the Passover meal, and then from there they would go to the garden where he would be betrayed, and then there he would be seized and falsely tried, that at the Passover, he was the worship leader. That Jesus Christ led them in a psalm. He led them in a song. And it would have been the gospel. He would have spoken of God's Choosing and loving and paying a precious price for them because he valued them so much. And then he would have gone forth to face that great 
trying night of the soul. I am told that barbershop quartets long to experience what they call the fifth voice. That when four men find themselves in perfect harmony, then it's like there's a fifth voice that is created. Jesus Christ, when we are uniting ourselves together in worship and song, and we are living and embodying harmony and unity, Jesus Christ's voice is heard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help our heart to sing of Your praise. For You, O Lamb, are worthy of all laud and glory and adoration. Father, heal our hearts with song, even as You sing as the great choir master to our hearts' fear, to our hearts' shame, to our hearts' longing. Sing to us. Sing to us, O Spirit, and make Jesus Christ clear and beautiful. And Father, we ask that You would use the songs of two rivers to unite our hearts to You and to one another in one glorious song. And we ask these as favors in Christ's name. Amen.